morning, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. I'm your humble host, David Vignola. This is season three, episode nine. And this is one of my favorite podcasts that we do this time out and answer your questions and collecting questions from you guys. And we're going to answer a few of them today. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to answer subscriber Q&A. It's my favorite podcast when we get to answer your questions. I love doing this for you guys. So sit back, relax, like, share, and subscribe. Five-star review, thumbs up, and all that good stuff. And let's try to answer some of your questions that you guys write into me. Let me see if I can help you. How about that? Right here on the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. Well, well, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. Again, my name is David Vignola. This is season three, episode nine. This time out once again, this is like my favorite episode that I do every few weeks or every few months. Every third episode, we do these answering your questions and answers. You guys are constantly sending me in questions and answers, and I'm compiling them on a master list. And every time we do one of these podcasts, I put a few questions in and I try to help. So if you want your one of your questions answered in an upcoming episode, Make sure you go to homerecordingmadeeasy.com, click at the contact link at the top of the page, and send me your question, and I'll be sure to make sure it's coming in an uh, upcoming episode. So now before we get to these questions this uh, this time out, let's do a little bit of housekeeping, right? If you're on Apple Music, Spotify, five-star review, as always, thank you so much in advance. And if you're on YouTube, like, share, subscribe, thumbs up, and even hit the thanks button if this podcast helps you in any way, leave comments below. Let me know if you have any other podcast show ideas. That would be great. And then last but certainly not least, if this is your first time here and you're like, who the hell is this Dave and what's Home Recording Made Easy? Great question. Go out to homerecordingmadeeasy.com. Right on that homepage, I'm going to give you a free $100 mixing course. It's my gift to you just for visiting homerecordingmadeeasy.com. And if you stick around to the end of the episode, I'm going to give you something else for free and tell you about some more great resources that I have for you. So... Ah, you know, drink of iced tea after all of that rhetoric. <laughs> okay, here we are. So let's start with question number one. Question number one comes in from Patrick C. And Patrick C. writes in, uh, let's see. Hey, Dave, I uh, went ahead and purchased the Presona Studio One Beginners course and the Mixing in Studio One Easy Beginners course. I have begun working on them, and they're excellent. Excellent, Patrick. Glad they're helping you. But now here's my situation. This mix was done on an older PC, and I started getting pops and clicks in my audio. Number two, I listened to your video on the 15 tips and tricks for eliminating these noises. So far, Patrick, you're on the right track. <laughs> Number three, I moved, the I moved the song to a laptop, a Hewlett Packard Pavilion, with Windows 7 and an i5 processor with 8 gigs of RAM and all, all of which were better than the original PC specs. There are fewer pops and clicks, but I still hear a few. My question is, for this short-term fix until I can afford a new computer, do you think it would help to get rid of these few pops and clicks if I upgraded the laptop to Windows 10 and added some RAM? Any advice you get, you can give would be greatly appreciated. Thank you again, David, for all your help and support. Patrick. Patrick, thanks for writing in. Oh, boy, I'm having a sore throat today, everyone. 
So pardon me if I take frequent beverage sips during this podcast. <clears throat> anyway. Okay, so you had a okay, what you failed to tell us, Patrick, is kind of the size and the scope of what project you're working on. But here's what I'll say. If you moved a song that was giving you lots of pops and clicks to a computer that gave you fewer, and that fewer only had eight gigs of RAM in it with an i5 processor, then that means the, the original computer is even older than that with less powerful specs than the under-spec computer that you moved it to. <laughs> so upgrading to Windows 10 is not going to fix anything. Adding in extra RAM could help your problem depending on your session and what you're trying to do. Really, the remedy for this problem is to upgrade your computer. In today's day and age, using an i5 processor with 8 gigs of RAM, if you're doing any kind of medium or heavy-duty audio work, you're going to have all kinds of problems. All kinds of problems. Like I've said before, technically, you're, you're able to do these kinds of things according to, um, according to um, the manufacturers of the DAW software. They'll say, sure, you can use 8 gigs of RAM, and sure, you can use an i5 processor. Our software will work, and technically, it does. But these audio artifacts, nine out of 10 times are because you're using an underspec computer. Yes, the buffer size and you know, device block size and some of those other things do help. And you even mentioned that you watched my 15 tips and tricks videos where I give you 15 different things to try. If you're still having problems, you need to upgrade your computer. So I would tell you that RAM is inexpensive. You can try that and see if that helps your situation. It's not gonna be too much money burned. Um, upgrading Windows isn't really going to do anything, I wouldn't think. But try some RAM. Go to 16 gigs, 24 gigs, 32 gigs. See if that helps. It might help for a period of time. But ultimately, Patrick, you're into a new computer. You're into a new computer, my friend. Whether it's Mac or PC, it really doesn't matter. We've done a whole episode on computer and computer specs. Go check our podcast previous shows. You'll see it. As a matter of fact, there's two episodes, one from about 18 months ago and one I did this year. Because about every year or so, I upgrade that episode because computer technology has changed. And I'll give you the whole lowdown in that episode on what kind of computer you want to think about purchasing and what the specs should be. So good luck with that. I hope it helps, and it helps you at least temporarily so you can get a new computer. Thanks, Patrick. Okay, question number two comes in from Dan Miller, or Danny Miller. Another drink of iced tea. <laughs> Danny Miller is a student of mine, been a student for a long time. He writes in, Hi Dave, hope you're having a great day. I'm completely mixed up about gain staging and the rough mix. The rough mix is getting your volume and panning right as far as I understand it. Gain staging is bringing down the gain to your tracks to about a negative 12 dB so that your master fader is roughly around a negative 9, negative 10 dB. Both concepts on their own, on their own I understand. What I don't understand is how you combine these two and how you work through them both. I hope you understand my question. I don't want to ruin your day, but I had to ask. Thanks, Danny. You're not ruining my day. And thanks so much for all your years of support. Um, yes, you're right, Danny, that these are two different concepts. The gain, gain staging and a static mix or a rough mix are two different things. And you want to think about them as separate things. Don't let it confuse you. The first thing you want to do before a rough or a static mix is gain staging. And yes, what does that mean? That means taking a look at your individual tracks, making sure nothing is clipping, obviously. Getting those tracks so when all your faders are at zero, you're hitting around a negative 12, negative 15 dB on each of the individual tracks. The accumulative effect of that on your master bus is going to be somewhere around a negative 12, negative 15. 
if you have the more tracks you have, the more of that buildup that's going on through your session, you may need to lower them even more. Maybe negative 18 dB. It depends on how hot tracks are recorded. And there's no you know, hard and fast exact numbers you have to hit. But the idea is to make sure that you have enough headroom in each individual track to hit your plugins at the right uh, level and to make sure that the buildup of all those individual tracks, the accumulative effect, you're around a negative eight, negative 10 dB on your master fader before you start putting any plugins on. So I've done lots of gain staging videos, as you know, Danny, and for anyone else listening, go check out those gain staging videos. I walk you through that process. Once you've done that, now you can put that aside. Now you're into your rough mix. Now remember, all your faders are at zero before you start. So that means ultimately you're going to lower some faders. You may even creep up a couple of faders, do some panning, and in a balance, really, just to kind of get a static mix, to get kind of a balance before you start adding a bunch of plugins. So you can ask yourself during that process, what tracks need processing, and if any, and what kind of processing do they need? And as you're doing that rough mix, your master fader shouldn't really increase in volume. If anything, you may, it may lower the volume because you're going to be lowering some of those faders. If you're starting at zero, chances are you're not going to be pushing all the faders up. You're going to be turning them down a little bit. And so that's really kind of the, the one-two process. You know, you want to gain stage first and then do your static mix. Don't think of them as one big thing. Think of them as two separate things. I hope that makes sense, and I hope that answers your question. You understand the concept separately. Just keep them separate in your mind. Start with your gain staging, then move on to your static mix. The gain staging is more important, obviously. The whole idea is to make sure we're not clipping. The static mix is just to kind of get a balance figure out the song, figure out what you're going to be doing to the song and where the trouble spots are and kind of getting, you know, with some balance and some EQ, not EQ, balance and panning, you kind of get an opportunity to see what's the finished product that it kind of sound like before we start adding a bunch of EQ and compression. So I hope that makes sense. I hope that answers your question. You kind of understood it, but my advice to you is just to try to keep them separate in your mind. Do the gain staging and put it aside. You don't need to worry about it and then do your static mix. I hope I understood that question. If I have not, Danny, make sure you email me and I'll try to be more clear once I maybe understand a little bit better what you might be asking, but I think I got it. So that comes in from Danny. Thank you very much, Danny. The last question for this episode comes in from David. David D is who it is. Sounds like a rapper, David D. <laughs> okay, David D writes in, Hey, David, I've seen different approaches in Studio One. I just wanted to get your opinion. Specifically, mix specifically in the mixing course, I typically create buses for different instrument groups, but I got into the habit of packing the tracks into folders and adding the bus there. I noticed that in the mixing course, you keep them separate, meaning I don't add folders. Do you think it's a better option or do you... Or did you do, oh, excuse me, do you think that that is a better option or did you do it that way to remain somewhat DAW agnostic? I've only been using Studio One for about eight months. I got into your course, but I wanted to get through the mixing courses first. I'm trying to help some friends um, produce a few songs. So I just landed on the folder packing bus approach and stuck with it. Um, okay, so what he's talking about in Studio One is, and again, they're really kind of two different things in that. In the mixing console, right, in the mixer section of Studio One, let's just use drums, for example. All our drums, I would typically route them to a drum bus so we can control the overall volume of the drum kit with that one fader. 
which is totally fine. And I will do that for multiple groupings of instruments all in the mixing console. What you're talking about is up in the edit screen where you see all the audio tracks, all the waveforms. You take those tracks and you're grouping them into folders to keep your, your edit screen above your mixer view in Studio One, maybe to keep that less cluttered. You got less tracks to look at if all your groups are in different folders. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't affect the busing system one way or another. The only reason why I don't use folders is just because I just, it just never, as a matter of fact, I think I'm, I used them in the past a little bit. It's just not part of my workflow. I don't really think of it and I don't, I don't feel a need to do it. It's not done for any reason other than that. Every DAW will have some kind of a folder option, but that's not the reason why I don't use it. Um, although most of my mixing courses, except for the ones that say Studio One in the title, are really for any DAW. So I guess, in you know, inadvertently, yes, I might have done that without realizing it to keep it more DAW neutral, but that's not really the reason. It's just not part of my workflow. Um, and either way, whatever works for you, David, is fine. The way you're doing it is totally fine. It's not going to affect the way the mix sounds. It's not going to affect anything. It just affects the workflow. And if that works for you, then I would say absolutely keep on doing it. Keep on doing it. There's nothing wrong with putting them in folders uh, if you want to. Um, it's a nice feature that Studio One has. It does help keep things a little bit more organized. I just never did it just because I just never did it. <laughs> but that it, it, there's no one approach is not any better than the other. It's all the same. It's just a matter of your workflow and what you like to do. So I hope that answers your question. So those are our questions for this week or this month, I should say. Again, if you want one of your questions answered in an upcoming episode, make sure you go to homerecordingmadeeasy.com and uh, send me an email through the contact link and let me know what your question is and I'll make sure I feature it on an upcoming episode. Now, because we're at the end of the episode, let's talk about what I could do to help you even further. First and foremost, as I've said, go to homerecordingmadeeasy.com. I want to give you a free mixing course. It's right on the homepage. It's a hundred bucks. It's my gift to you just for visiting homerecordingmadeeasy.com. And once you take that free course, if you want to check out one of my other full length paid training courses, I want to give you a discount. I'm going to give you a discount coupon code. That coupon code is podcast30, podcast30. Stick that in at checkout. That will take 30% off any training course on the website. So make sure you do that. And last but certainly not least, if you really enjoy the craft of mixing and you want to learn how to get better at mixing, the quickest way, the most non-technical way, where every single month you're going to get a, a brand new training course, a full course, every single month you're going to get a set of multi-track files, you're going to mix a song along with good old Uncle Dave from start to finish in real time, the whole song, every month. You get to join a community of like-minded people who are all trying to get better at craft and mixing and so much more. We have mixing contests, live coaching calls, one-on-one -on -one interaction with me. Check out what I have going on at mixingmadeeasy.net. That is the fastest and most effective way for you to get better at the craft of mixing. And again, it's perfect for beginners and intermediates. It's all done very non-technical, so you don't have to know a bunch of technical jargon. I explain everything in layman's terms, and we got a wonderful community of people there that are all here to help each other get better at the craft of mixing. So... Make sure you do all that. Make sure you like, share, subscribe. Make sure you send me your upcoming podcast show ideas again to my email if you have topics that you want me to cover. And until the next podcast episode, I've been Dave with HomeRecordingMadeEasy.com and MixingMadeEasy.net. Thank you so very much for listening this time, and I'll talk to you guys soon.
Take care, everybody.